Hello, hello, my dear audience here in the United States and around the world. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Once again, I want to thank you all, uh, those who emailed me this week. I really appreciate your emails very, very super much. Someone mailed me a request to speak about issues of the mind-body, body image, and self-perception. And someone else asked me to talk about depression and panic attacks. I will definitely address these issues in the future show, uh, maybe even in the next one. In addition to the interviews I do every week, every other week, with outstanding specialists in the healing arts, every other week, as you know, I share with you the ideas, methods, and various tools I have been using over the years of my practice. For a while now, we have been on a journey through my program, The Six Pillars of Well-Being. Last week, I spoke about the two attitudinal challenges out of 13, jealousy and ingratitude. I gave those who are interested in doing some practice assignments. And of course, the journey will still continue. But three weeks ago, I introduced yet another subject, human morphology, or as it is commonly called, the science and art of face and body type reading. I only gave you an introduction to the subject, and we covered only, I believe, one temperament, bilious. And uh, next week on June 1st, I will speak about the rest of the temperaments. So for those of you who are interested in the subject, you make uh, sure that you are with me next Tuesday. If you missed the introduction, still, if you're interested in the subject of face reading, you can download the introduction uh, from the site of PRN and the show aired on May 4th. But today I have a guest who has a very different perspective on the origins and treatment of both physical and mental disorders. And by the way, that includes the issues you wrote to me about that you want me to talk. And we know when I talk, I talk about my approach to these problems like depression or anxiety uh, using my mind-body tools. But this person has a very different perspective. And I, as you know, I want to invite as people with as many different perspectives on treatment of mental and physical challenges as possible. What I found over the years is that there is no one single technique or method which works for everybody. Perhaps because we are all different, we have different metabolisms, different ways of processing information, information, whether it's food coming in or information like stress, uh, we're responding uh, very differently to all kinds of challenges. One person's miracle cure can be a killer for another person. You remember there was uh, a diet, trick was called Pritikin diet some 35, 40 years ago. It was all about carbohydrates. Then there was Robert S. Atkins, who emphasized that it's very important to eat, particularly if you want to lose some weight. You eat a lot of protein, a lot of meat, and vegetables. And of course, you know Gary Null, the, the owner of this whole network, and I know him for many years. 
And for, for 50 years, he's been advocating a vegetarian diet. And I know I, I've been with him in some of his workshops, and uh, I know how many thousands of people he helped. But not everybody. How do I know? It, nothing works for everybody. And I, you know, when you talk about different foods, beets good for you. You know, there is research that beets are good for who? Beets are good if for many things, but if you have low blood pressure, that may be, may be not good for you. Raw broccoli and cabbage are so good for you. Yes, really? Not if you have a thyroid problem. It, it gets confusing, right? What I want to say is, yes, it is confusing. I, I want to introduce as many views to you on health and healing as possible. And I know that our average listener is a middle-aged person. So you now are responsible for taking care of your health and responsible for making your own choices. You have to explore every single approach and find what works for you. Quite uh, recently, I came across the work of another person, another uh, physician who has a very unique perspective that seems to work for so many people around the world. That person is a medical doctor, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. Usually when I interview people, I'm in a hurry to start the interview and go quickly through the introduction, through introducing this person. But today I want to take time and introduce Dr. Natasha, if uh, I hope she doesn't mind me calling her Natasha, uh, because she traveled such an interesting life journey. And in fact, we're coming both are coming from the former Soviet Union. Uh, Dr. Natasha graduated from uh, with honors uh, from a medical school in, in Russia in 1984. And in the following years, she uh, gained a postgraduate degree in neurology after practicing for five years as a neurology uh, in neurology and neurosurgery. She started, got married, and started the family and moved to UK, the United Kingdom, and where that's where she lives now. It was during that time that Dr. Uh, Natasha developed her theories on the relationship between neurological disorders and nutrition and completed her second postgraduate degree in human nutrition. She has specialized in using a nutritional approach to treatment of many serious physical illnesses and mental illnesses. And in 2004, she published her first book, Gut and Psychology Syn uh, Syndrome, Natural Treatment of Autism, ADHD, Dyslexia, Depression, and Schizophrenia. Wakes, she explored connection between the patient's physical state and brain function. That book gives a full, full range, uh, all details of what is called, what she called uh, GAPS, GAPS Nutritional Protocol. The book was translated in 20 languages. I, I, want, I, I was thinking of, keep, of, of talking about other books that she wrote and many other accomplishments that she made. But I'm thinking maybe it's, it's better if I just introduce her to you and she will take from there. But uh, 
<laughs> Dr. Natasha, welcome. Thank Say you. Delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting. I'm, I am so excited to, to see you, to meet you. I honestly, I don't. I've interviewed many people, many interesting people, but I don't know why I'm so excited to meet you. <laughs> it's my intuition. You have something very special to teach us. So, uh, would you? You know, I, I have so many questions, but what I would like us to do is first, I would like you to introduce you introduce yourself, how you came about to this developing this approach, and and um, I know you have a farm, you you grow your own vegetables and fruits. So uh, first, tell us a little bit about or, or as much as you want about yourself and your personal journey, and then. What is GAPS and how you apply it in treating so many different disorders? Absolutely. Well, uh, my first child was diagnosed with autism at the age of three, <clears throat> which threw me into a very steep learning curve. I had to help my son. I had to help my child. And uh, I went back to university. I studied everything I could study. And the result of it is that uh, my son now is 28 years old. He's a healthy young man. He recovered fully and he's leading a normal. Wow. Uh, you're talking about and that happened. He was born in the UK. He was born in the UK. Uh -huh, in the, That's okay. right. That's right. So um, having been through that journey, I was in contact with many other families who had autistic children. We were all searching because at the time there wasn't much on offer at all. <clears throat> and uh, I started sharing what I was finding uh, with my own child, with other families. That's how my clinic began. That's how other people started getting results. And that's how the GAPS nutritional protocol was born. I knew from the beginning that nutrition, food, plays a huge role in human health. In fact, now I'm convinced that there is nothing so powerful in the world as the food and its effect on human health. Whatever is the problem, in your body, whether it's a mental problem or a physical problem. It is food that you have to address first and foremost. Whatever else you're trying to do, whatever else you're trying to address, food is the first fundamental block that you have to address, you have to change. And uh, I believe that children come to us as teachers. My son was my teacher, he still is. <laughs> he still yeah, is. Children do. <laughs> That's yes, right, absolutely. that's right, yes. I have two sons, and then the second Please one stop. came as, as a comfort. Uh, yes, and he still is my teacher. And uh, he was the instrument that brought the GAPS nutritional protocol to the world. I'm just I'm just a channel through which he, he brought that information to the world. <clears throat> and I, I what is I'm GAPS? Sure. Yeah, what is GAPS? You wanted to say what it's an GAPS? abbreviation, right? GAPS stands for Gut and Psychology Syndrome and Gut and Physiology syndrome. Both abbreviate to the same gaps in the English language. I've got two books on this subject. Gut and Psychology is the first one, which has been written in 2004. And this is Gut and Physiology syndrome, which came out uh, last year. It completes the gaps concept and it focuses on the rest of the body. This one focuses on the brain. This one focuses on the rest of the body. So what is gaps? We have a person with abnormal gut flora. Coming out of Soviet Union, you were probably familiar with gut flora because the Soviet Union is a place I where... I experienced it. I experienced it. I didn't yeah. know theoretically. Where, uh, where a huge amount of research was done on this subject, uh, starting from Ilya Mechnikov, 
from literally the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, in the third year of the medical school, we were studying about gut flora and we knew what gut dysbiosis is and what it can do in the body. And when I started practicing, we had probiotics already, which were manufactured by the state and we used them, these probiotics. So when I came to the West, I was surprised to find that nobody was familiar with the concept in the West. Uh, they, they were far behind, apart from veterinary practices, because there were probiotics for the animals. They were using probiotics for the farm animals, but not for the humans. In the last um, few years, suddenly the Western science got interested in gut flora, and the research now is piling in, huge amounts of research, very fast developing area. Everybody's fascinated with it now. And uh, what these researchers are telling us now that 90% of all cells in the human body live in our gut flora. 90%. That means that your body is only 10%. It's a shell, a habitat for this mass of microbes that live inside your digestive system. In a healthy person, it is a highly diversified and balanced, harmonious community of microbes. There are fungi there, viruses, bacteria, protozoa, archaea, flukes, worms, all sorts of creatures living together in harmony. And only uh, in harmony, due to this harmony and this balance, we can coexist, we can live with this mass of microbes inside us. And now we are discovering that there is nothing microbe-free in the human body. We have microbes in our blood, we have microbes in our lungs, in our heart, in our uterus, women, uh, in the abdominal cavity, in the joints, in the muscles, in the brain, in the eyes, everywhere there are microbial communities. But the headquarters of our uh, microbiome, and that's the new term that the Western science has created, called microbiome, which means this microbial community that lives in, inside your body. The headquarters of that microbiome are in your gut, in your digestive system. And the reason uh, for that, there is a reason for that. Mother Nature doesn't do anything without good reason. There is a reason for that. Because the most influential uh, power on the microbial community, any microbial community in nature, is food. You change their food supply and the whole microbial community changes within minutes. Certainly within a few hours, it's, it's different, completely different. And where does our food go into our digestive system? And where is the majority of our microbes living in the digestive system? So by changing our diet, we can change that microbial community inside our gut. And that means that we change the microbial community everywhere else in the body. And because these microbes are in the majority in our bodies, they're in charge of our health. They're in charge of your mental function. They're in charge of your physical functions. They're in charge of your immune system. Everything your immune system does is um, happening because of what's happening with this microbial community. So your body basically is an ecosystem where a myriad of microbes live together. And if you look at the evolutionary biology, evolutionary biologists are telling us that actually human cells in your body, so-called human cells, descended from microbes billions of years ago. And many of them still behave like microbes. Many of our <laughs> immune cells and blood cells look like microbes and behave like microbes. Right. And many microbes, you know, in the, because nature works in cooperation. We've been given a political idea that's a purely political idea that's, that's drilled into our heads in the primary school. That, that nature lives on survival of the fittest. 
that nature is a cruel mistress and the survival of this survival of the fittest. That's a purely political idea instilled in us. The truth is not survival of the fittest. The, the truth is that nature thrives on cooperation. cooperation. Oh. Everything cooperates in nature with each other. Because we live on one planet, and uh, if the planet or if, if life allowed everyone to live forever, the planet will get overpopulated very quickly. So in order for something to live, for something to be born, something has to die. So there is a, a recycling of energy, recycling of life, recycling of resources on the planet. So these microbes that uh, came together billions of years ago, and one microbe said to another, I can do this for you. And the other one said, okay, and I can do that for you. Okay, let's join forces. Let's be together and serve each other, cooperate with each other. And then the third one joined in the same way, and then the fourth joined in uh, the same way. And that's how bigger and bigger and bigger creatures appeared on the planet. And uh, over billions of years, this microbe specialized. Some became your brain cells, others became your immune cells, others became your skin cells, muscle cells, and so on. But they have never forgotten who they are, where they came from. And we now have research to show that they actually can revert back to their microbial origins. They've never forgotten who they are. So your body is of a microbial origin to start with, and it's full of microbes. It is an ecosystem, a microbial ecosystem. So when we attack microbes inside our bodies with antibiotics or other chemicals or in our environment, we need to think very carefully who are we attacking. And the problem is that's what humanity has been doing uh, ever since antibiotics have been discovered, since the Second World War, really. And even uh, the, the basis for that was... Uh, laid down before the Second World War. Um, every time you take an antibiotic, it kills off bacteria. These bacteria were controlling and eating a myriad of other creatures, fungi, viruses, protozoa, archaea, all sorts of creatures. And every microbe in nature is capable of causing disease. The only way to live with microbes and to be of microbial origin and full of them is to have a balance between them. It's a very delicate balance, a harmony. Nature thrives on harmony and cooperation. Harmonious microbial communities live in every healthy natural environment, which includes healthy human body with a healthy gut flora. But every time you take an antibiotic, you destroy that balance, you destroy that harmony. And as a result, all these microbes which were left after the course of antibiotics get out of control. Nothing's controlling them anymore. Because all microbes plant each other, harvest each other, eat each other, control each other. They don't allow any one of them to get out of control. And uh, we human beings are very good at creating imbalances in nature. Very good. The problem is that nowadays people take antibiotics not only after visits to doctors. They're eating antibiotics for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and in between. Because majority of agricultural chemicals, which our industrial agriculture uses, are antibiotics in their nature. One of the most uh, widely spread chemicals nowadays is glyphosate. That's the active ingredient in Roundup herbicide. You probably heard about this chemical because there are uh, tens of thousands of lawsuits now going on against glyphosate, against Monsanto. Yeah. Who created and, and, and yes, and Gary Noll spoke about it on his That's show. Right. When glyphosate yeah. was first patented, it was patented as a broad-spectrum antibiotic. It is an antibiotic. 
Every bite of food that you buy in a supermarket is full of glyphosate, even organic produce. That's what science shows. That's what research shows. Even organic, so-called labeled organic produce is full of glyphosate. And uh, every time you eat it, it destroys that balance, that harmony in the microbial community in your gut and in your body too. And that is gaps. This situation is gaps. The destroyed, unharmonious, unbalanced microbial community inside your gut and inside your body altogether. So when that happens, the first place to suffer will be the digestive system because this microbial community rules everything in the body. There is no function in your body, no matter how far away from the gut it is, that the microbes are not taking part in. Your emotions, your likes and dislikes for food and for uh, relationships, your, your sleep pattern, your uh, personality, your attitudes to life, and of course, digestion of food, absorption of food, detoxification and immune functions all rely very heavily on what's happening in your gut. Your microbes are in charge. For example, the most addictive substance on the planet is sugar. The second most addictive substance is wheat flour. That's a scientific fact now. What happens? How are they addictive, these things? Because certain microbes in your gut love eating these things, particularly fungi. Love them, absolutely love them. And majority of people in the West, and not only in the West nowadays, uh, have an overgrowth of fungi because they take antibiotics. In order to have fungi in balance with everything else, you have to have bacteria, which eat those fungi and control them. When you beat out bacteria with an antibiotic, fungi overgrow. You get a fungal overgrowth. And that's what I've been taught in the first three years of medical school in, in, in my country, that after every course of antibiotic, you have to take an antifungal and you must have your kefir. Have, that's right. You must have your sauerkraut and you must have your fermented foods because antibiotics kill of bacteria and that means the fungi will be on the rise. They will overgrow in the body. Majority of the Western population already has an overgrowth of fungi in their bodies. Already. And then they feed them with sugar. Fungi love sugar, love wheat flour. And when they feast on these things, they convert them into many, many chemicals. Part of those chemicals, many of these chemicals are toxic, poisonous. Part of that chemical uh, mixture, they make in the form of endorphins and morphins, which absorb, get into your brain and make your brain addicted to these chemicals. So the brain wants more. So the brain then starts dictating to you, eat muffins, eat chocolate donuts, eat sugar, 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 eat sweets, eat uh, drink soft drinks, eat bread, eat pasta, eat all of these things because you're, you're, an, you're, you're an addict. You're a drug addict. You're not buying illicit drugs on the corner of the street. They are manufactured right there in your digestive system by an overgrowth of fungi in your body. And not only fungi love sugar, many other pathogenic microbes love sugar and love wheat flour. These are the first things that have to come out of the diet of any person who has any chronic disease, whether it is mental or physical, whether it is uh, um, panic attacks or anxiety or bipolar disorder or depression or rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis or eczema, asthma, chronic cystitis, psoriasis, arthritis, anything, asthma, allergies, anything. First thing that have to leave your life forever is sugar and wheat flour and other starchy alternatives, other starchy things.
because they feed that vicious cycle of drug addiction and they are manufactured, they are converted into drugs and your digestive system turning you into a drug addict. So your brain demands that you eat sugar, demands that you eat breakfast cereals, demands that you eat pasta and, and, and all this, this sort of things. So every GAPS person has this vicious cycle of addiction. It is the basis. That is why majority of GAPS people are fussy with food. They remove all the uh, proper nourishing food out of their diet because they don't fit into this vicious cycle of addiction. And they limit their diet to uh, the foods that feed that vicious cycle. They limit their diet to pasta and bread and breakfast cereals and sugar and soft drinks and, and, and the rest of it. So that is the first thing that these people have to face. When you have abnormal gut flora, what happens, uh, the food, not only sugar and wheat, but many other foods are converted into a river of poisonous chemicals. Millions of poisonous chemicals. At the same time, these pathogenic microbes overgrowing in your gut damage the integrity of the gut wall. They make it like a sieve. Holes develop in your gut wall. It becomes porous and leaky. So all these toxic chemicals that are manufactured from food in your gut by that microbial flora absorb. So your digestive system, instead of being a nourishment source of nourishment for you, becomes your major source of toxicity. There's a river of toxins flowing from your gut into your blood, into your lymph, getting distributed all over your body. And wherever they get you, whichever organ they get you, they will cause disease. That is why gaps, gut and psychology syndrome and gut and physiology syndrome is the root cause of every chronic degenerative disease in the world, mental and physical. Whether this is schizophrenia, whether it's anxiety, whether it's anorexia, whether it's epilepsy, uh, autism, ADHD, uh, anything, or whether it's autoimmune disease or allergy or skin disorder or kidney problems or liver problems or asthma or heart palpitations, atrial fibrillation. Your gut wall is like a sieve. Food absorbs undigested through that gut wall. When the gut wall is like a sieve, when, when, when it's porous and leaky like that, food doesn't get a chance to be digested properly before it absorbs. It absorbs undigested. Your immune system then finds these bits of food in your blood, looks at them and says, you're not food. I don't recognize you as food mm -hmm. and attacks them. And this attack then... Uh, autoimmune, that's where autoimmune disease comes in. Exactly. Yes. And this attack manif uh, uh, manifests itself as a food allergy or intolerance. Food allergy and intolerance can show up as any symptom under the sun. And atrial fibrillation, we have an epidemic of atrial fibrillation in people over the age of 50 and 60. It is uh, leaky gut. It is damaged, porous gut. Foods absorb undigested. And the toxicity coming out of the gut, and that's what uh, upsets the rhythm of the heart in these people. You have to heal and seal your gut wall. Any food allergy, any food intolerance, and majority of people in the Western world suffer now from some kind of food allergy or intolerance. Um, the first thing we do, we focus on healing and sealing the gut wall. You close up all those holes, you rebuild the integrity of your gut wall. As a result, the food starts digesting properly before it absorbs, and your allergies and intolerances disappear one by one. It takes time but it, it can be done. And, and there are, I don't know how many people in the world who recovered from food allergies and intolerances with the GAPS nutritional protocol, because this protocol has been around now for 20 years or so. 
you, I, I want to say something. You know, you're not just an incredible scientist and a doctor. You're an incredible storyteller. You know, you remind me a little bit, you know, Jana Bicheskaya, who, who mm -hmm. collects Russian uh, folk songs. To me, you sound like her, but without singing. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. I love listening to you. So now I want to ask the next question. Okay, I, I, I get it. And, you know, I, I read a little bit about the, the, the issue of the gut. But the question is, what do we do? If you can, you know, what could my listeners take right away from what you say and start acting? What? You can find a lot of information on GAPS online because I have been training health practitioners for the last more than 10 years now. We have thousands and thousands of them all over the world. They are listed on my website, gaps.me. That's my website, gaps.me. And uh, all of them have websites. Uh, many of them run courses. Many of them do lectures. So That's how I found you. That's how I found you. I was looking for uh, for iodine. And the woman who was certified by you gave you credit, of course, and so on. And so before buying this iodine on her website, I, I looked up who, who is Natasha McBride. <laughs> and that's how I found you, yeah. I have, I have now, I have put, uh, I used to train people face to face, uh, yeah. but in the modern world, everything's going online. <laughs> right, so, now I also teach my, my tools online. Yeah, I teach classes, online, so I know, I know. So we but, have but gaps can you say now just a few words about the steps what is it that you they do what is the protocol can you describe the, yes gaps nutritional protocol has three elements the most important yeah. and the bulk of it is the gaps diet gaps diet you have to change your diet what if you have diet? any physical or mental problems that is the first thing that must be done before you try anything else, you have to change your diet. And uh, GAPS diet is a huge subject. It is based on traditional indigenous diets from all over the world. We cook everything from scratch at home. Nothing is, we, we do not buy anything processed. You cannot trust food industry to provide you with food, to feed your body. Um, everything you buy in a supermarket is uh, likely to cause disease rather than bring you health. So we search for proper organic real farmers around the world and we buy directly from the farms all of us in our modern world must abandon supermarkets if we are to regain our health if we are to look after our families our children and our health we cannot buy food in supermarkets we, we came to that sad uh, situation now supermarkets are so uh, relaxing and so comfortable and uh, so convenient but everything you buy in the supermarket comes from industrial agriculture, industrial food industry. And uh, your health is not on their agenda. Everything else is, but not your health at all. And it's all full of chemicals. The practices that they use, they're so sophisticated. It is unbelievable. You cannot trust an organic label in supermarkets anymore. That is a sad situation. About 10 years ago, industrial agriculture uh, realized that organics have become popular and they wanted a piece of that pie. And because it is uh, industrial agriculture that rules the agricultural policies of Western governments, they put their own people into Western governments to write agricultural policies. 
they have changed all the regulations and rules around organics. They have corrupted them. We now have organic pesticides and practices which have no place in true organics. And because um, real organics cannot compete with these big people, this big agriculture, they're going out of business. They're, they're diminishing in their numbers. So if you want truly clean food, truly, uh, you cannot buy it in the supermarket. It, it is, you will be buying a lie. You will be buying a manipulation. You have to find real farmers in your area, around your city, and uh, go and visit them, make a weekend out of it, put your kids in the car, put your dog in the car, and, and go and visit the farm. A proper, real, organic farmer will be very happy for you to visit them. He'll welcome you. An industrial farmer has padlocks on his gates and he does not let anybody in because the first thing is there's lots of chemicals lying about, there's rows of refrigerators full of antibiotics and steroids there, and animals are locked up in prisons and given all these drugs. So you will not be able to visit an industrial farm. But a real, true, organic farm, you will be able to visit and the farmer will welcome you. And find several farms like that and uh, buy all your food exclusively from them. All it takes is just driving there once a week and getting all your supplies. And what I recommend to my patients who live in cities, I put them in touch with each other. So they form groups like a cooperative. And this week, it's Mr. Smith that drives out and gets food for, for the whole group. And then people pick up their bits and pieces from his house. Next week, it is, it is Mr. Jones that goes and does that. So it, it works on a rotor. And once um, that group becomes big enough, many farmers are happy to deliver into the city, into one house. So everybody can pick up their bits and pieces. You just, you just, uh, all it takes is getting organized. And that way, you are supporting a, a truly good, loving farmer who loves his land, loves his soil, loves his animals and birds, and looks after them properly. So you, you'll be buying happy meat and happy eggs and happy milk and happy vegetables, not industrially produced miserable meat and miserable milk and miserable. In a supermarket, you're buying grief. You're buying suffering. That's what you're buying from, from the biophysical point of view, from energetic point of view. You are buying somebody's suffering, somebody's pain. How can that bring you health? You cannot. Western... That brings us to my next question. Tell me, tell us please about your farm. Well, eight years ago, we bought a, a plot of land here in, in Britain because we wanted to produce our own food. Working with food for so many years, um, eventually you come to the conclusion that you can't trust anyone to produce your food. So we wanted to do that. And uh, we bought this piece of land, which I think we were destined to have, and uh, there was no soil because it was farmed conventionally, industrially for more than 100 years, literally no soil. So we practice a no-dig farming, no-dig gardening, no-till, no-dig. We're creating soil. We're covering the existing soil with more. We're creating soil. And now we have animals, we have um, milking goats and a milking cow, house cow, we have pigs, we have chickens, we have, we started with 12 chickens and now I don't know how many we've got, 200 or more running around all over the farm. Is it a whole range. community? Is it a community or just your family? It is just my family, but we uh, gradually, this situation literally within a year, it turned into a school. We signed up with a few online uh, groups of people who put in touch young people from all over the world and organic farmers. And we started getting volunteers. 
or we do we provide them with accommodation and food and they work for free these volunteers we had hundreds of young people going through our farm we teach them organic farming we teach them how to milk goats how to milk a cow how to look after chickens how to make sure that chickens produce lots and lots of chicks and look after them themselves so you don't have to do it and uh, how to do how to grow vegetables fruit we've got bees we've got 10 beehives now and uh, people come and go many people come back again and uh, we have many people who were crying into my shoulder because they didn't want to leave oh, <laughs> it's they were such leaving. Beautiful that's right and wow. many many say that i would like to create something like that for myself in the future and for my family and that's a music to my ears because the more of these kind of farms we have the more hope our planet has no matter how small your your, your small holding is your, your little plot is it is a little paradise it is a little oasis within a desert industrial wasteland of industrial agriculture where the, the land is so sad the soil is dead so sad so your little plot will be an oasis, which will give hope to the planet and which will give a, 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 a sanctuary to insects and birds and wildlife and herbs and grasses and plants, just everything. Now we have, I have the next question. You have, it, we did not touch that subject yet, but it's, it's a little bit shocking for me. Uh, but I understand exactly where you're coming from, but it's still shocking because everybody now talks about health, being vegetarian, being uh, uh, vegan. Uh, the, the, in fact, do you, you know the um, Italian researcher, uh, Walter Volgo, who wrote uh, Longevity Diet, the Longevity Diet, no? He, 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 talks, he talks about, uh, in fact, he talks about an area in Italy where people have virtually no hypertension, no high blood pressure, and they all, uh, it's an area where they do not eat meat. So he is very much a proponent of a plant-based diet. You are, and many American people that I know, that I spoke to, professionals and and just lay people who are interested in eating healthy say, well, I would be a vegetarian, but it's it's too hard. You know, American people, I love being an American, but American people don't like to make too much of an effort, <laughs> you know, starting with remote control. <laughs> they like to sit in the chair and, and to go to the supermarket or better to order online and they bring it from the supermarket. So, uh, and, and, but they aspire to become vegetarian and you are saying no no this is a mistake so would you elaborate on it and how it's you came to this absolutely a few years ago i was um, getting all these anorexic girls in my clinic and bipolar young people young people who just develop mental illness and very quickly i've discovered that vast majority of them became ill mentally ill because of vegetarianism because of veganism and vegetarianism. And that made me very interested in this subject. So I started researching it. And the first thing I've discovered that there are no, not one scientific study worth looking at on this subject. All of them were conducted by pro-vegetarian lobby. These studies were incorrectly designed. Data was incorrectly analyzed. Incorrect conclusions were made. And many of them uh, were manipulated. And some of them are just direct lies basically uh, political, politically created lies 
And one of these lies is the China study, which the mainstream is running around with and saying that this is the proof that vegetarianism works. So having discovered that there is no science to rely on, I started looking at basic sciences, science of physiology, zoology, biology, and the clinical practice, my own clinical practice experience and the clinical experience of uh, my colleagues, other holistic doctors, natural doctors. And based on all that knowledge, I have written this book called Vegetarianism Explained. It's not a big book, it's quite a thin book, <laughs> because I deliberately wrote it in such a way that it's easy to understand for youngsters, for teenagers, for young people, because it is young people who fall uh, for this propaganda. So, my, daughter, my daughter became vegetarian. Exactly, exactly. The propaganda of vegetarianism comes from Monsanto, Bayer, DuPont, Camp China, and other huge global um, agricultural corporations. Why? Because it is easy and profitable for them to grow plants. It is completely unprofitable and very difficult for them to produce animal products. Meat, fish, and milk, and eggs. It's unprofitable. They don't want uh, people to eat these things because they're not profitable for them. On top of that, the most influential owners of this industry now have invested into synthetic meat, synthetic milk, and synthetic eggs. We now have technologies for these things. So um, their push now will be to uh, get rid of animal husbandry altogether. So there will be no real meat, real eggs, and real milk available to people. And there will be only their synthetic alternatives available. That's, that is what's happening. Uh, propaganda for vegetarianism, for veganism, comes from these people. They rule the industrial, uh, um, the agricultural policies of Western governments. They put their own people, they give money to these governments. Uh, that is where this propaganda comes from. They have huge marketing departments, these companies, these corporations, with very clever psychologists, thousands of psychologists sitting there, spending the whole day sleeping and, 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 and dreaming how to convince the whole world to become vegan, a vegetarian. And they're very clever at it. They press on emotions, they create films, they create um, ideas, they put it all out. The cruelty and, uh, against animals and so on. Yeah. Exactly. And the most uh, vulnerable population are the youngsters, the young people. So it's all based on emotions, it's all based on ignorance. Ignorance and emotions are the two major legs that the whole propaganda stands for. So what is the truth? What is the real truth? The truth is that human body cannot live without animal foods. We cannot live without animal foods. Why? Mother Nature gave us two groups of foods. It gave us animal foods and it gave us plants. Animal foods are the meat, fish, eggs and dairy. And plants are grains, beans, vegetables, fruit, and so on, and seeds, and, uh, and so on. And uh, these two things are digested very differently, extremely differently. The solid scientific fact is, from 1930s, we've known that, that the only things on our planet who can truly digest plant matter are microbes. The only things. No other creature on the planet can digest plants apart from microbes. A balanced microbial community has unsurpassed the ability to break down plant matter and turn it into something that other creatures can benefit from. Mother Nature used this scientific fact um, for creating the digestive system of herbivorous animals. Cows, goats, sheep, giraffe, antelope, deer, zebra, and other uh, purely herbivorous animals have several huge, enormous stomachs. 
A cow has three enormous stomachs called rumen, and these stomachs are full of microbes. The majority of the microbial flora in the body lives in that rumen. So the cow doesn't digest the grass herself. It's that microbial community and her three stomachs mm -hmm. that do the work for mm -hmm. her. She will chew the grass, she will swallow it, the microbes will work on it, extract what they can, and then they'll send it back, she'll regurgitate it, she'll chew it again, and then she'll swallow it again. Apparently, a cow chews the same mouthful of grass 200 times, <laughs> working with that microbial community in her rumen. And the majority, apparently 70% of all carbohydrates in the grass, that microbial community converts into saturated fat, short-chain fatty acids, and uh, in that form, the cow absorbs them. So herbivorous animals actually live on a highly, on a very, very high level, high fat diet. And most of it is saturated. Then look at the human stomach. Look at our digestive system. Our digestive system is very different. We don't have a rumen. We have a small stomach, which produces hydrochloric acid. And a few other elements, pepsin and other elements of, of, of stomach juice. Right. When we're hungry, the, the pH can go below one, definitely below two in a, in a human stomach. And it is an environment which is extremely hostile for any microbe to survive. That's why our stomach is pretty much sterile. There are only a few fungi surviving there, a few lactobacilli, a few other microbes just holding on in there, hanging on in there, uh, because they can survive in an acidic environment. So... Plants are indigestible for humans. Remember, only microbes can digest plant matter. Only microbes. No microbes, no digestion of plants. So when we swallow plants, when we eat plants, they sit in our stomach. They do not get digested properly. They're just waiting for their turn. But what does this hydrochloric acid and pepsin and other elements of stomach juice digest well? They are perfectly designed. Protein. Perfectly designed to digest yeah. meat, fish, eggs, yeah. and dairy. Perfectly. After that digestion happens in the stomach, then the whole mixture is passed into several meters of intestines where absorption of food happens. And the absorption can only happen of foods which got properly digested. So the only things that we truly absorb in our intestines are meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. Plants so don't get digested to any large degree in the intestines either. We derive from them some phytonutrients, some vitamin C, other vitamins, some minerals, some other uh, cleansing elements. But the bulk of what your body is built from, the physical structure you live in, plants cannot provide for you. Only so, animal foods can provide. And that Natasha. is uh, protein and fat. Yeah, Natasha. So you, you, are you familiar with the work of Dr. Robert Atkins? He yes. lives in America. I met him. Very nice gentleman. Unfortunately, he died. Uh, so you think he was on the right track when he was recommending? Absolutely. Absolutely, he was on the right, right track. And he has helped so many thousands of people right. to regain their health and recover from, from terrible diseases. He was. Yes. But let me finish with this. Um, yes. With, yes. Yes. Uh, about 70% of your body is, is, is water. Yeah. If you remove water from the human body, what's left is 50-50, protein and fat. When we analyze human protein in a laboratory, we find that in its biochemical composition, it's almost identical to proteins in meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. The same with fat, human fat. 
almost identical in its structure uh, with fats that we get out of animal foods only. Plants have plenty of proteins, plenty of fats, but their biochemical composition is completely inappropriate for building our protein and our fat. So plants are incapable of maintaining the physical structure of your body, your big skeleton, your big muscles, your big brain, your liver, your lungs, your heart, your, all your organs. Not only they require protein and fat to be built, and children in particular are growing, they need plenty of these building materials to grow for growth. But on top of that, human body renews itself all the time. Every cell in the human body has a short life. The cells get old, they get worn out, they die, they get removed. And a new baby cell is born to replace every dead cell. So the body gives birth to trillions of baby cells every day to keep uh, maintaining itself, its physical structure, to rejuvenate itself, to heal any damage, to, to uh, maintain itself. And uh, building materials are required to be, in order to give birth to trillions of new baby cells every day. Mm -hmm. And what are these building materials supposed to be? Protein and fat and water of the right quality. And only animal foods can provide these building materials to maintain the physical structure of your body. So what are the plants for then? Why do we eat them at all? Plants are powerful cleansers. They provide uh, antioxidants, phenols, salicylates, and all sorts of other um, substances which keep us clean on the inside. They provide carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates, which put some fat on us, because that is the, the, the source of obesity are plants, starchy plants, not, not, not fat and meat at all. And, uh, and they provide food for the microbial community in our bowel. Remember, plants go through your intestines, not contributing that much. And then eventually they land in your bowel, in your large intestine. That's where the majority of your gut flora lives. That is the equivalent of the cow's rumen in us humans. Mm -hmm. The difference is that in the cow, her rumen is at the beginning of her digestive system. And now it's Where in us humans, it's at the end. It's right. too late. The absorption already has happened higher up in us. But when the plants land in the bowel, they feed that microbial community and they uh, produce some vitamins and produce short-chain fatty acids, again, the, the saturated fat to sustain us between meals and all sorts of other things. But for the bulk of absorption of protein and fat to maintain your physical structure, it is too late at that point. So feeding, building foods are only animal foods for humans due to the, the way our human digestive system was designed. Plants are cleansers. Of course, uh, this division is from black and white. Of course, there is some crossover, but it's it's um, that's that's what it is. But the plants, do you recommend them to be cooked, or you you recommend that people eat plants? You know, people in the uh, traditional societies, uh, humanity has learned this fact through tens of thousands of years. People in every traditional society knew that. They knew that the most important piece on your plate is the piece of meat and the fat, whatever fat they could get, they would they would cherish and eat and, and consume. Uh, there should be, you know, half meat, half fat in every piece of meat. You need to combine the two, it's essential. You can't eat lean muscle, lean muscle is harmful. It must come with the same amount of fat on it. Only then the body can assimilate it correctly and use it correctly. So lean is another uh, very malicious propaganda, which is political. 
commercial we, we do need fat to burn fat but how do we prepare vegetables do we do we cook them well what you see your... that that's what humanity has learned in the traditional societies that the most valuable uh, parts for them are to catch an animal or catch fish or find eggs or milk an animal but many times in their lives they they they, they could not do that they could not obtain meat they could they could not catch an animal or, or whatever so they have to subsist on whatever plant matter they could find or, or grow themselves and uh, people knew that plants don't feed them that they can't sustain them particularly long term so they and they knew that they they are indigestible but they're difficult to digest. So they would cook, they would cook them. So people invested into finding ways of making plants more digestible and more nourishing and easier. So uh, cooking, of course, fermentation. One of the major, major ways that... Uh, we grew up in sauerkraut, right? Right? Yeah. Exactly. Kvashina yes. kapusta. Kvashina kapusta, Right. All of that, yes. So fermentation. Every culture fermented their plants. And majority of plant matter was consumed in a fermented form. Why? Because first of all, for uh, thousands of years, humanity didn't have refrigeration. We didn't have fridges and freezers, which will keep food for us for a long period of time. If you killed your pig and you haven't consumed the whole pig within a week, the meat will just rot away and there will be no meat, God knows for how long, until you find another, another animal. Or if your cabbages in September are, are ripe and you haven't done something with them, they'll just rot away and you'll have no cabbage until next year. And any of you who grow cabbages they're, they're will tremendous. understand how much work it is to grow cabbages. <laughs> Natasha, I just realized, you know, you're a magician. You talk and, and it's it's so interesting. And I just realized we only have five minutes left. Your time oh. runs so fast. I want oh. to ask you, so if people, people want to to explore, to try out your protocol? What do they do? What they do I get do? My books, get, my, get my books, read my books, familiarize yourself with the whole concept. And you take and, step uh, by step through everything. Step by step. It is all described for every situation, for every disease. Uh, I, I <laughs> it's my selfish thing. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a healthy guy. I'm 66 years old. Um, Though I have to say, you know, we are approximately, I'm a little older than you are, but you look, you do something right because you look like you would be my daughter. <laughs> You're doing something right, I have to say. <laughs> Usually when you see a person who looks young and vigorous, you say, what vitamins do you take? <laughs> but I understand your vitamins are not vitamins, but just healthy, nutritious, live food. Absolutely. Okay. I take no supplements. I do not believe in supplements. Uh -huh. okay. People, people, Mother Nature designed our bodies to get our nutrition from food, Everything not from pills. From food. I, you know, I hope my daughter now, when my my son is working, but my daughter went to Panama to do to do something like you are describing, to work for free, but to to live uh, for a month only. And I'm hoping she will apply and get to work with you because it's at first she is a vegetarian. And the second, she, but she's very interested in health. So she will definitely be uh, listening to this interview. Uh, I have uh, so many other questions, like how I, I anticipated what you may say, but I know Gary Noll for 25 years, and I know thousands of people that he helped, and he promotes vegetarianism. How did they get better? 
Is it all psychological? Yes. The first improvements in the first few months of any kind of change in diet come mm. from removing sugar, flour, potatoes, That's definitely soft drinks, yes. vegetable uh, oils, soya, and other processed uh, substances. That no matter helps what more diet than... you choose, whether it's vegetarian or pure meat or pure this or primal or whatever, the first improvements come from removing that rubbish out of okay. your diet. Oh, because I got that is the cause of every disease. It's not the, the, you know, the green juices that you're having or, um, you know, the banana you're having or whatever. It's not what you're actually having. It's what you stopped having. That brings the initial improvements. Okay. And people who go on a vegan regimen or, or a vegetarian, in the first two, three or four months, all your improvements come because you stopped eating chocolate muffins. That's, oh, and wow. Kellogg's for breakfast. You and know, you I definitely, I will, call, I will call Gary and ask him to watch our interview because I, I, I'm dying to hear what he has to say. But you Absolutely. know, recently I was diagnosed, like I, my blood pressure got a little up and I don't understand why uh, fully, but so I, I need to go on your protocol, yes? You need to read this book. That's, that's a book that I've written on heart disease. It's called Put Your Heart in Your Mouth. You uh -huh. find it online. It's available online. Um, here I describe where the idea that uh, heart disease is caused by fat and cholesterol comes from. It's a political and commercial uh, manipulation. What is the real truth is where the high blood pressure comes from in people. It comes from the lack of magnesium. And lack magnesium is drained out of the body by sugar and wheat flour and uh, other starchy oh. processed carbohydrates. No more wheat flour, no more sugar. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard, you know. <laughs> We're all addicts. It's hard because these are the most addictive things in the on the planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. They are more addictive than morphine and heroin and cocaine. Well, Natasha, you you link. Yeah, yeah. This I heard. Uh, actually, I have a book called Suicide by Sugar. Yes. Yeah. You the the links. You know, after our uh, uh, show. Uh, all the all the shows are accessible on PRN, so people can go and download this show and any show that I have. So we'll put I will put links to your to your books, so so they could people could order and explore this uh, because it's quite quite revolutionary what you are saying now. You know, I'm excited to try it out. And I hope we'll be in touch. And I want to thank you so, so much for being with me today, with us, with us. I'm really grateful. And I know now why I was so excited. It was my intuition. <laughs> thank pleasure. you very much. Thank you for your work.